0: us and we be more changed into your image for indeed you have called us to be holy for you are holy and Lord, we praise you and honor you in jesus name amen amen give them a hand god's good huh hey welcome to uh, sierra bible church see you later to the junior high group hey um if you're new here and i haven't had a chance to meet you yet my name is jesse Uh, And for the most part, I get to handle a lot of the teaching and the preaching here at the church and blessed to do it. But we're part of a a great team of pastors and elders and deacons that help this church thrive and do well. And so we're thankful for all of our leaders. I was telling the first service as well just how thankful I am for our worship team and the volunteers every week. I mean, we're just incredibly blessed with a, a great group of people who take of their own time and to practice during the week and then to be here and to lead us in worship. So. Uh, very thankful for them. if you are new uh, or if you 're not plugged in yet, we want to encourage you to um, download our app on our app. You can um, actually have it, give you notifications if you want you don 't have to, but you can it'll alert you of all the things that are happening on uh, at the church uh, it, there's a place on there to sign up for our newsletter that we send out every week uh, because we want to make sure we 're connected with you. There is a lot of stuff happening at the church, and inevitably. Um, at some point in time, an event will happen, and I'll say, "That's happening right now." This is happening today, and someone will say, "What? You haven't announced that?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yes, I have." In fact, uh, for the last few weeks, I've been announcing um, the So Ministries event in Roseville, and someone told me yesterday that they never heard me talk about it once. And it's been on every social media platform we have. It's been online. So I understand it's hard to get connected and to know what's happening. But we want you to participate in some of these blessings. Last night. So Ministries, led by Travis and Amber, if you're not familiar. They're down in Mexico, and they're building uh, an orphanage for babies down in Mexico. They're doing a tremendous job. We absolutely love their ministry. We're behind them 100%. And I was down there in Roseville pretty late last night for the event, and uh, I texted him this morning and asked him, hey, how did you guys do at the uh, the fundraiser? They met their goal. They raised $75,000 last night. So that's pretty incredible. Um, And then... uh, on the app, there's an opportunity uh, to give uh, there. That's online there. There's boxes in the back. It just lets you, since we're church family, this is just a quick church family conversation with you. Something really interesting has happened over the last 18 months in our church. Uh, some of our older folks who uh, who are, are typically uh, maybe a little bit more have what we would call expendable income, they've moved out of California because California. <laughs> and, uh, and so they're gone. And then what's happened is some of you... Uh, Uh, who are younger and you have families you've come in and so where what's happened literally is like where one couple would give X amount of dollars now it's like five couples that are filling in for that one couple Uh, and so that's a there's a healthy thing there at the same time it kind of it unfortunately puts a little bit of pressure on me for those of you who are younger Christians uh, and those of you who are new to say hey if you're part of the family um, you know, there, there's this part of giving that is required as part of the church that we can make sure the facilities are done well and provide as many of our events that we have for free uh, and, and just give a great overall experience for the church. So uh, if you're church family, just want to encourage you to, to continue to give and, and to be generous with your time, your treasure, and your talent. Um, speaking of which, Trunk or treats coming up. This is an event, if you've never been to a trunk-or-treat event, first of all, this is probably one of the largest events in Truckee. Two years ago, the last time we did it, well over 1,000 people passed through our parking lot. What we do is we line up a bunch of cars all along the back of the parking lot. They're all decorated, got people in costumes, and they're handing out candy. We've got carnival events for the kids. All kinds of things are happening there. We give away free food and all of that. It's free event to the community. Uh, and there's two things we need you to do for that. Well, number one, we need you to pray. Uh, well, there's three things, actually. Pray, give candy. We're doing a candy drive, so there's a bucket out there. Bring candy and uh, volunteer. We need people especially uh, to be willing to bring a vehicle or a motorcycle or whatever, decorate it, and line up out there and give out candy for the night uh, and bless kids. If you go on the Instagram uh, account that we have, you can see me dressed up uh, in the story feed uh, as Thanos a couple years ago. It was completely purple, and it was great. And every year someone says, you're celebrating Halloween. No, we're not. Do you know what October 31st actually is? It's the day of the Reformation. It's the day that we celebrate the fact that the gospel came back alive, brought us out of the dark ages, and so this is a time for us to celebrate uh, the Reformation and do that in a way to love our community and have people come on our campus that would normally not come on our campus uh, and love them in, in hopes that they would come to find the Lord. So it's just a way for us to open the door, get people in the, the front door first, and then in relationship, hopefully get them more plugged in. Uh, so we need volunteers for that. need candy for that. Also, volunteers in need for children's church, because the church has gotten younger over the last 18 months, uh, we've, got a, we've got a ton of kids over there. I think there's close to 100, 110 kids over there every single week, uh, and so we continually need volunteers over there. So if you love kids and you want to serve kids, you should go over there. And if you don't love kids, you should sign up for trunk or treat. <laughs> Set up and tear down is for you, Okay. Um, and then we started a ministry for young adults a couple months ago called The Well. That's tonight in Ray Hall. That's a ministry that's continuing to grow, so this is just an invitation. If you're in the young adult group and you want more fellowship, you want to be connected with people your age, uh, uh, this is, or maybe you're just that age group, and you want more teaching in addition to what you're having in the morning, want to invite you to that as well. Okay, you ready to get in the Word? <clears throat> if uh, you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible and you'd like to read along, there's some right in the back corner there too. Just raise your hand and uh, one of the ushers will gladly give you a Bible. Just keep your hand up and we'll make sure everyone gets one. Okay, so we try to make each uh, message kind of self-contained, even though we are committed to preaching through uh, the Bible. Um, that, That being that what I'm saying is that when you, if you haven't been here, at least uh, at all, because we do have a lot of visitors and a lot of people who are transient. We've got a lot of people. I was talking to someone about this last night, how how really neat it is. We have people from San Jose, uh, Roseville, Reno, Nevada, um, that travel to our church to come to our church, which is pretty incredible and pretty neat. Um, and, uh, and so we try to make each message that you can carry away with it and, and then do something with it that week, hopefully, and walk with it. And this morning, we're going to talk about words that lead to life, I had two points initially uh, for this message that I wanted to make. Uh, those two uh, points were speech that brings heaven down and our missional mindset. And what happened this morning is I was only really able to get to one point. So this is going to be a one-point sermon with a lot of little sub points. And then we'll dive into the next part uh, next week, just the way that it flows. Uh, it And sometimes that's how it works when you're preaching and you're teaching, it just sometimes when, if you haven't preached it before, right? I'm not one of those guys that practices in front of the mirror because I don't like the way I look, right? Um, (laughs) That's difficult to do. Uh, (laughs) Some people can do that, and I can't. And I'm not going to preach to my wife and my kids because they don't listen to me. And um, I'm just kidding. But you love me. I appreciate that. Um, Yeah, speaking of, there's a family just started coming back to church here not long ago. They live on the other side of the lake. They drive an hour every day every day, every Sunday, just to come to church here, uh, which I think is just a beautiful, beautiful thing. So let's do a little bit of backdrop just, just so we can know where we're going and why we're going where we're going. Paul is in prison at the time that he has written this letter. And he's written this letter to a church in Colossae, a church he has not met, people that he don't he doesn't know, except for the pastor of the church, whose name is Epaphras. And Epaphras has traveled from Colossae to Paul in prison to basically tell Paul this, hey, Paul, this church I've planted, uh, it's, got a, it's got a couple issues. They're, they're called the, the Colossian heresies. And what is happening in, in these heresies is there's some of the kind of Jewish legalism that's coming in to be saved. You have to follow all the Jewish practices. But then there's these false ideologies and philosophies, if you will. The culture has kind of crept into the church. Uh, Our staff is actually pretty fired up right now about the American church and the state of the American church. We we are just seeing and witnessing almost on a a weekly basis churches in America that are compromising the gospel because of the culture, compromising the word of God because of the culture. Uh, In fact, there was a church this week, a gentleman came to us from the broader Lake area to kind of make it generic and not throw anyone under the bus in case I'm misinterpreting what was stated, but a, a member of the church came in and just needed some counseling on uh, what to do within his church that he is at because his pastor just recently made a proclamation that he no longer believes in the inerrancy and the infallibility of Scripture. This is what happens when the culture begins to kind of creep into the church. Right? There are whole churches that literally are built on entertaining you. Uh, I think John MacArthur calls them junior high churches. It's just a, a dumbing down of the church, teaching you to be kind of like a child. I recently actually, in some lectures from John MacArthur on good expository preaching, he he was saying, we do adult church because we want to make adults out of our people, not children out of our people. Uh, And I think that's true. There's a time and a place to scream and to yell, and then there's a time to put away childish things and time to go deeper into the gospel and deeper into the word of God. And this is why Paul is writing this letter to Colossians. You can't be tossed to and fro, if you will, by every wind and every doctrine. You can't allow the media to tell you what to believe. And right now, Christians are in this pressure cooker. I don't know how much you pay attention to the news. Hopefully, you don't because it's all garbage, all of it everywhere. But the reality is that the news is now is starting to state that much of the issues that we're dealing with and some of the things that are happening are because, are because of Christians. It's going to be the Christian's fault. And so what Paul is doing is he's trying to strengthen the backbone of the church, that the church will be what God called it to be in a culture and in a society that hates you. And so the first thing that he's going to touch upon, if you remember in Colossians, the first two chapters, because of the Colossian heresy, because people were basically saying, you need more than the gospel. The gospel is much more complex. You need to add to the gospel... So Paul goes in the first few chapters and he just lays it out and says, let's get back to Christology. Let's get back to the centrality of Jesus Christ. Let's get back to the gospel, that that the gospel is that you're a sinner and that Jesus came and he died for your sins and he rose from the grave to defeat death, to give you his righteousness and to take away your sin. Get back to the simplicity of the gospel, church. Quit allowing the culture to dictate what you do. Right? The church loses its luster when it begins to look like the rest of the world. It loses its sparkle, right, because that you have whole churches that are trying to do it just like Hollywood, and the reality is, is Hollywood can do it better than you can, right? It's going to look better. It's going to shine better. It's going to have better sound. It's going to have better lights. It's going to have better communicators, right? But when you come back to the simplicity of the church, it's not about all of the production, but it's about being placed under the gospel of Jesus, the centrality of Jesus. Get back to the centrality of Jesus. And, and Paul just keeps hammering this home, that, that we would be focused on Christ and the centrality of Christ. And then in the second part of Colossians, where we're at now, he begins to say, now this is how these things practically play out. Now this is on purpose, right? Because you don't work to get your Christianity. You don't work to get your salvation. You work because you're saved. Right? We, we don't do things to appease God from his wrath, but rather God's wrath has been appeased in the person of Jesus Christ. Now we do things. right? And last week, um, Brad uh, took a, a passage for me uh, that was kind of a tough passage to deal with, right? Submission. So we, Last week, that's, that's what the sermon was on. I don't know if you can watch it online if you haven't seen it, uh, but, but it, submission is a very, very, very popular term in our culture, Yeah. And and that's tough, but yet what we see is that there's great freedom in submission because Jesus himself submitted to God the Father on the cross, so brought freedom. Now he's going to get into prayer. <clears throat> words that lead to life. Now part of the message that I intended to go towards was that prayer prayer leads to life, and Paul's going to touch upon this here in a moment. We're going to read it together, but then he gets into the proclamation of the gospel, words and how words matter. Before we read the text, I just want to put before you, I know it's small, but And I'm just going to paraphrase some of this because I'm very familiar with this passage because I use this passage in almost every premarital counseling uh, session I go through on communications from James chapter three, uh, verses one and onward. So James is a very practical book. Uh, It's a book that it's kind of it's kind of like wisdom literature in the New Testament. Uh, James chapter three he tells us first of all this is kind of one of those fun things here. Hey, many of you shouldn't become teachers, (laughs) which is what I'm doing right now. Because the teacher's going to incur stricter judgment, not only before God's people, as he should, but, but also before God himself. Because what you say, what comes out of your mouth, matters. He goes on and actually talks about the tongue and, and speaking. And I don't know how you do in your speech, like even, even this morning, how good of a job you did with your mouth. But the, the passage goes on and says about the tongue, about speech, that man has actually been able to tame every animal. Large ones, small ones, ones of the sea. He mentions all kinds of different animals, which I think is interesting because apparently at some point in time, somebody trained a dolphin. Like in the, old, in the New Testament. Like, that just trips me out. I don't know. I just think of like that being like a new world kind of 1900s thing, you know? But somehow, some way, you know, there's these animals that were trained, camels and all of that. And he says, but nobody can tame the tongue. And what's interesting is he, he, he correlates the tongue with a wild beast, with wild beasts. And he says the reality is, is no one's actually ever tamed this tongue. The tongue is a, a fire that is set by the world of hell. It can do great amount of destruction. He, he also likens it to the rudder of a ship, right? This very small piece of, of equipment on a, on a ship, and the ship is massive and large. And though this small piece is attached to this ship, this small piece is able to dictate the whole course of where the ship goes. And likewise, your mouth is able to dictate the course of your life. Right, What James is actually correlating to some degree or another is he's saying the success of your life can actually be attached to the kind of person you are with your mouth. The success of your marriage can actually be tied to some degree with how good you are with speech in your marriage or with children or any other relationship. Your, your mouth and your words, they matter, and no one can tame this unruly beast. He goes on and says, It boasts of great things with this mouth, with this tongue, it says we actually proclaim the goodness of God, we worship, and with that same tongue, we also curse men who are made in the image of God. Right, how many of you this morning maybe said a few words you shouldn't have said, and then you sat in the seat, you just sat in, and you sang? How many times have you, you sang at church only to get on Glenshire Drive and yell at the guy who's going 35? We're all guilty of it, and he says this is you know good water and bad water coming out of the same stream. It shouldn't be so, but this is the case. Now, Jesus goes further into this idea of, of the mouth, right? So James is only building off of what he's heard from Jesus, as any of the good writers of the New Testament uh, have done or should do. And, and, and Jesus actually says it this way to the Pharisees. He says, he says to them in Matthew twelve thirty four. You speak good. How do you speak good, he says, when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, mouth, the mouth speaks. So the heart is an indicator. Or rather, I'm sorry, the mouth is an indicator of what's in the heart. Your speech proves what's inside of you. It's a way for you to just kind of recognize where your relationship with God is and how that relationship is going. There's these kind of words that come out of our mouth that are bad words. I don't mean just cussing or cursing, but, but rather the, the kind of deceit, vanity, flattery, foolishness, madness, boasting, false teaching, hatred, carelessness, gossip, or having too many words. Right? As a preacher, it's hard for me to, to read Proverbs 17.28, but it's not so hard for me to use Proverbs 17.28 to my children. Do you know what the verse is? Even a fool when he shuts his mouth is considered wise. Right? Sometimes you just look smarter by not talking. I mean, have you ever been in a conversation? I have, for sure, where you, you're talking, and you're talking, and that person just kind of looks at you and goes. Mm. And you kind of think, I think he knows something I don't know. <laughs> you, you know, one of the things that you can realize, uh, you can play with, I like psychology and those kind of things. They're kind of fun, but you can practice this, is uh, find out with your friends or with your spouse, who is the most uncomfortable with silence? right? Uncomfortable silence, right? You, you know what I'm talking about? When you're having a conversation and then all of a sudden there's a lull in the conversation, just don't say anything. See who speaks first. You can do that with a group of people and you'll find out right away who's the most awkward with awkward silence. If I just stood here and didn't say anything for a while, you'd start to feel weird. Should I try it? Right? and, and, And so what the Bible teaches in regards to words and languages is that it reveals what's in your heart and you can actually sin less by saying less, is what he's saying. And then there's these gracious words that are in the Bible. These things are all within Scripture. Confession of Christ. Confession of sin. Encouragement. Edification. Praise. Singing. Thankfulness. Talks of God. Words of love for your neighbor. Okay, so... All of that is just some some backdrop knowledge for us this morning to understand that what comes out of the mouth is very, very important. And now Paul is going to touch upon how important using our words in prayer are. So if you have the ability this morning, would you please stand with me as we position our bodies and our hearts to hear from the word of God. Verse 2. so that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each person. So, Lord, we ask that the words spoken this morning, Lord, ultimately, though they come from my mouth, that between my mouth to the hearer's ears, it would be you that speaks. Lord, we as people do not need the opinion of man, but we need the truth of God. And so I ask that you would give us that truth this morning and you would be faithful and true as you have been week in and week out. In Jesus' name, the church said, Amen. You may be seated. Um. So, being marked by prayer. That's kind of the, the big idea that, that we, as Christians, when we get into the practicality because of the centrality of the gospel, that we would have, if you will, a communication between us and God, the creator. There's kind of a, a sister verse to this, I think. It's, it's almost word to word, but adds a few extra words to it. It comes from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. And that instruction Paul adds to the Ephesian church that we would be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer, supplication, and to that end we would keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. The context that the verse kind of gives us both in Colossians, as well as Ephesians, if you, if you look, it tells us in chapter 4, verse 2, be watchful. And then in Ephesians 6, uh, six 18, it, it tells us to keep alert. The context that's being used here is that of, of battle, that we are in a kind of battle. And Christians would do well to understand that we do not live as Christians in a world of peace. We are literally at war. The Bible says that we have three main enemies. Satan himself, the principalities in the demonic realm, are flesh and the system of the world. That's in Scripture, by the way. That there is a system in the world that is anti-Christ and anti-gospel. You would do well to wake up to the reality that everything in culture is designed to draw you away from Jesus. To draw you away from the Word of God. Right? It's become evident to me in the, just really in the last two years uh, between my wife and I, we can't even really let our kids watch commercials. Right? It used to be when I was a kid and my mom first got saved, the first thing that she did is she went into my room and she tore down all of my Sports Illustrated posters. And by Sports Illustrated posters, I don't mean sports posters. <laughs> right? She tore them all down. She threw out all of my CDs. Right? She was just on fire. Got rid of everything. Uh, and and just chucked it all. And then I remember the first thing that she said, this is kind of how it was back in the day when I was a kid. This was the only threat I had to worry about. You cannot watch The Simpsons. That was the thing. And, And when we talk about the system of the world, take note of any of your favorite TV shows. The Simpsons as an example. The father is always depicted as an idiot always. And the younger generation is always seen as the cool, hip guy to follow. That is the world system to say, take away strong, good male leadership, and let's just teach the cult. Like, why does that exist? It's not just because it sells money. It's because behind it is a satanic realm that is trying to destroy you. Right? This is why we have to be discerning as Christians at what we read and what we watch. And, and when we're watching, it's not to say you can't watch any of those things, but you must be aware of the cultural narrative that it is teaching you. You have to be aware. If you just sit there and absorb it, you're going to be a victim of it. Paul's writing this letter specifically for this reason. He's saying you've got to pray, and the reason you've got to pray is because you're at war, and if you're not praying because you are at war, you're going to be defeated, you're going to be weak, you're going to be frail, and the world is going to kick your butt. That's what he's saying. Keep watchful, be alert, be offensive by praying. In fact, Luke, in Luke, where Jesus is speaking of prayer, he tells a parable that essentially says that we should be praying so that we would not lose heart. Right? We live in a culture that right now, man, it is trying to batter and bruise people, tear you down. Everything is negative. Right? You remember the Lego movie, Everything is Awesome? Now it's like, everything is not awesome. Everything is awful. Right? I mean, the first thing I saw when I pulled, pulled up news in the morning, because I pull up my news in the morning to see kind of what's going on in the world, right? The supply chain. That's the big kind of thing right now. The supply chain's going to go down. You know, all that does now is it's just like, you better freak out. You better store up. You better you better go buy things. You better go store things. You, you, you better order your Christmas stuff now. You better go do these things. Your kid's not going to have Christmas. And people start freaking out, and they start getting worried. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We better go stock up on gas. We better... Hey. Maybe just pray first. <laughs> maybe slow down a little bit. Right? Because the culture wants you to panic cuz cause panic causes you to fear, fear causes you to keep clicking buttons, which brings more money to them, and then it causes you to go hoard things like toilet paper, and then all of a sudden we're like, "Okay, I've got 6 months worth of toilet paper and I have no money saved." How is this helpful? There's a battle. He adds to that battle and he says, not only must you be watchful, but you should be steadfast and persistent. Right? That you hold on to these things. It's like our walkie-talkie at wartime between us and the general. We're at war. Sometimes we feel like we're in a foxhole. Things are hard. The culture is saying that Christians are the enemy and so we continue to be persistent in prayer. And he says that you must pray in his spirit. It's not in your strength. Right? The flesh can't accomplish this communication between us and God. It's not about just grinding it down. The first thing, the Westminster Catechism defines this really well, that prayer, first of all, is offering up our desires to God. Okay, so what does that mean? The first thing in prayer is, is basically this. God, I'm not going to ask you for anything yet. I'm just going to give you my desires. I'm going to give you myself first. Right? I'm, I'm going to release What I want and what I'm feeling, I'm going to give myself to you. Uh, In the last several months, uh, God has blessed me with a great encouragement that that I kind of didn't expect, right? So several months ago, you know, the gym opened back up, and the the gym that I go to has a sauna, and I've never been a sauna guy because, I don't know, it just never appealed to me because I don't like sweating. And I was like, I'll try this thing out. Now I'm addicted to sauna time. And, and the reason for it is because it's, it's, it's 15 to 25 minutes, depending on how much water I drank that day, where I can just be detached from my phone, detached from technology. The light is dim. There's nothing to visually stimulate me. And I'm forced to get into a place where I just position myself before God and I have the ability to just pray for the things I need to pray for because 90% of the time I'm in there by myself. It just gets to be me and the Lord. And I know it probably sounds weird to some of you, but just something about being in that vulnerable position, sweating, being disciplined to sit, and to just pray, it feels like not only is my body being purged of that which it needs to be purged of, but so is my soul. God, take from me those things that are keeping me from you. It's been an incredible time for me. So maybe you should sign up for the gym. Join me in the sauna. Um, It's an offering up of yourselves. He goes on, and... And he says, but by the power, he, this is what he, the, the key here in the spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit with confession of sin and acknowledgement of the grandeur and the glory of God. Right? That one of the things the world has lost is the grandeur and the transcendence of anything but specifically God himself. Right? The ancient Jewish people had a huge knowledge of the galaxies and the stars. If you look back on any other culture, whenever they reached out to some, something they didn't understand or know, they all reached out to the heavens above them. They always looked up. And now in cities with, with light pollution and, and us getting a full dose of dopamine from our cell phones, we very rarely step out into nature and look back and go, wow. I mean, right now, we are on a round cylindrical planet that is flying millions of miles an hour through space. I don't know if that's the exact scientific number, I'm sure. But we are on a ball just darting through the galaxy. And we're perfectly aligned. And and if we just moved a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right, a little closer to the sun, a little further away from the sun, we've either got a sunburn that kills us or we're all frozen in ice cubes. Right now, we all should be standing and going, whoa. But because we don't step out, outside of our cell phone, outside of our small little worlds, and, 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 and because the world is continually trying to shrink us down and shrink our souls to make us these individuals that, that don't really see the grandeur, that don't ever make us go, there must be something more. And then the culture gives you something more ridiculous to focus on like it has in the last 18 months, right? Uh, Don't focus on the grandeur of God. Focus on UFOs. We're going to release some new footage. Right? We don't want to explain it with God. We don't want to explain things from from a spiritual realm. The better explanation is little green men on really fast rocket ships. Right? We've got to look that up. You see what I'm saying? The culture is trying to take you away from these things, and what we need is the, 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 the transcendence as prayer and only prayer can give us of the radicalness of who God is. That he, and somehow in his magnificence, created the universe, and still his love and affection is set upon you this morning. Right? It, it never ceases to amaze me that I'm preaching to a room full of people And every Sunday, someone says, you were talking right at me. Like, no, I wasn't. I wasn't. I'm just preaching the word, and God speaks to you. I had two girls in the second service for some reason, two young gals just in tears, hugging me and squeezing me and telling me how thankful they are for the message. And I'm like, I don't know why you're so emotional. (laughs) But that's what God does. He speaks to his people on an individual level. Though he loves all, he sets his affection upon you as if you were his only child. And so both in these passages in Ephesians and Colossians, there's the general request, that's what prayer is, supplication, which is specific requests, and alertness and perseverance that we would wrestle with the Lord. I like how John Piper actually puts it. He says, what we need is more Coronary Christians and less adrenal Christians. This is what he means by this. He says, he he goes on to define it as as coronary, being your heart. That's what that word is. That your heart is faithful to beat on good days and bad days. No matter what, your heart is at your service. It beats, you're hardly even aware of it, but it just serves no matter what. And what he's saying is, this is the kind of Christians we need Christians that, that will pray, that will preach the gospel, that will share who God is, that will live for who God is, day in, day out, good days, bad bad days, be a coronary Christian, he says, rather than an adrenal Christian that's constantly looking for the adrenaline high. There's whole churches and ministries that are designed to just do exactly that. Let's give them a high on Sunday. And then Wednesday comes, and you've had that adrenal dump, and you're wondering, has God abandoned me? If you base your relationship with Jesus Christ on experience alone. I'm not negating experience, not negating emotion, but if you base your relationship with Jesus Christ on experience alone, what do you do when you don't have the experience? Do you feel like God's abandoned you? Do you start wondering where he is? Do you begin to get into a contractual relationship with Jesus where, well, I must must be doing something wrong, so I better start doing some right things, and if I do the right things, I better start serving, and then things will get right. There, there's a. it's funny how, how just God works. Like the Holy Spirit is out there doing stuff in people all the time. Uh, there's a gal who, um, she lives in Reno and she has traveled here. Uh, last summer she came to church like three or four times. Okay, so in the last two years she's literally been to church maybe three or four times. And uh, someone who's been praying for her and inviting her to church and and encouraging her to come to church and just praying for her that she would come to know Jesus uh, in the way that God intended. She was down there in Reno talking to her and as they were talking she said, You know what? I need to get up to Truckee and I I need to serve. I need to serve at your church. Right? And and the friend's going, you might want to show up first. You might want to be here first. Like, like, like you want to you want to get into service and you haven't been to church in 15 months. Right? That the spirit kind of lets us know it's, you know, there's something void in my life. People feel this right now. More than ever, people are feeling that the world doesn't offer the answers to the questions that we're asking. And Paul's encouragement, again, is that we would pray and be people of prayer and we'd be persistent in prayer and we'd be coronary in our prayer. I'm going to share with you a cheesy story. I've shared it in the past, but enough of you are new that now I can start to repeat myself without having people get so bored anymore. Um, uh, And and, uh, when I first started getting into ministry, and I repented of my sin. Like the first time in my life at 21 years old, like truly recognizing my sin and knowing it wasn't working and knowing I needed to turn from it and giving my life over to Christ, right? I moved to San Diego, started to get into ministry and started to, to, to get discipled. And, and this, this kind of deep urge to be married started to arise in my heart. And I was 25 years old. Well, oh, I was 21 to 25. It took me four years before finding you know, my wife, before, or I should say before God revealed who my wife was. And uh, for four years I was praying, and, and I would pray all the time. You know. Just. And at that time, I remember thinking, it's taking so long. I don't know if you've ever played this game with yourself before, but like I'm 43 years old, and, and, and what I would go, if I could go back in time, what would I tell my 25-year-old self? I'd definitely be like, dude, you're not ready. But at the time, I felt so ready, right? I mean, we were, my wife and I were so, so ready to get married, we decided to get married on, the, on December 27th, two days after Christmas. I just want to share that with you because it shows you how dumb we were. <laughs> two days after Christmas, we made family travel to San Diego during the snow from Truckee, California, because we needed you to be at our wedding. I don't know, just one of those selfish moments. So here I am as a young man praying for a wife, wanting a wife, and, and the Lord wasn't answering the prayer. It was one of those moments, you know, not where God spoke to me like audibly but within my heart and Scripture before me and, and just praying about, you know, having a wife and who's the right gal and, and just would you make this all work for me, Lord? And, and I remember um, asking, you know, God for that, and God said, you know what, Jesse? The, one of the reasons I'm not answering this prayer for you is your motives are wrong. I went, what do you mean, Lord? And, and all of a sudden, God started to reveal to me that all of the reasons I wanted to get married were more self-focused than they, they were for another person, or rather, as we teach, as I now know as a more mature pastor, that, that marriage is, is not for your happiness, but for your holiness and for the glory of God. That a good marriage is one of the most beautiful proclamations of the gospel. For within marriage, you get to practice forgiveness at a level that no other relationship can possibly show, and you get to practice grace to a whole other level that no other relationship can actually show. Marriage is the epitome on this planet of a proclamation of a relationship with God, and that's all found in Ephesians chapter 5. And so as I realized that my motive was wrong, I, I said, okay, Lord, then, then take away my desire because I can't fix my motive. I can't fix my heart, so just take the desire away. And I heard God still in a small voice say to me, no. That's one of those moments when you're wrestling with the Lord, which is what perseverance and prayer means. I kind of was like, what do you mean, no? Like, who are you to, come on, man. And the Lord subtly spoke to me and said, Jesse, this is the one thing that you were very consistent with in coming to me about. Because I love being with you. I'm not going to take away the desire until you learn to come to me with other things. Until you learn to come to me to be with me. Do you know that God can and well, not saying this is some kind of weird biblical truth, but he can and well hold back desires from you because he knows that you'll be in his presence and you'll pray for him. He wants you. God is more concerned about having you in his presence than giving you stuff, whatever that stuff may be. And that's what God was sharing with me. I know you feel like your desire is not being met, but ultimately down deep, your deepest desire is being met because you're in my presence. You're with me. Right, and so Paul's encouraging we'd be these kind of alert, persevering Christians that hold fast to the gospel, hold fast to Jesus, and that we would be men and women of prayer. And then Paul ups the level of prayer for us in chapter four, verses three through four. Take a look at what he says here at the same time, right? In addition to steadfast prayer and being watchful. And oh, by the way, I didn't mention it, but he uses the word thanksgiving again. It's the fifth time now in four chapters Paul has used the word to be thankful. Just to add to this again as we've preached it in several times over the last few weeks, sometimes to just raise our happiness, we must practice gratitude. To say thank you to God for all that he has given us. And then he adds verse three look at, at the same time, pray for us. Paul's saying, pray for us. It, it kind of has a twofold meaning, right? Number one, it means you should have a heart to pray for the person next to you. You should be praying for the church. Uh, it was, it, it, and there's all kinds of different ways to pray. You know that, right? Because people ask the question well, when I pray, how should I pray? You know, that's one of the questions the disciples actually asked. Jesus teach us to pray. And the reality is that in scripture, according uh, to this line I have here for you, uh, before you up on the screen, prayer in every form is appropriate. Scriptural precept and allowance suggest that we can pray publicly, privately, loud cries, soft whispers, silently, deliberately, planned, spontaneously, sitting, standing, kneeling, lying down at home in church, while working, traveling with hands folded or raised, with eyes open or closed, with head bowed or erect, as Paul would say, pray at all times. Right? And we can do this in any kind of way. On your gut, on your back, just don't fall asleep. That's kind of the key, right? And, and the reality is when we talk about prayer and praying, Paul says this, he says, labor with me in prayer. He lets us know that prayer is work. It's not necessarily easy. It is like going to war. And I've, I've realized that, that one of the reasons prayer is so laborious is as sinful creatures, it's really uncomfortable to be sitting in the presence of an unsinful, clean, and perfect holy God. It's Genesis 1 kind of stuff. Genesis 3 kind of stuff. We feel our nakedness before the Lord. Prayer makes us feel vulnerable. But what we need as Christians to strengthen the heart is to be vulnerable for the Lord because any shadow of not feeling vulnerable is just that. It's a shadow. It's fake. There's no such thing as being strong. You know that, don't you? Just be tough, man. There's no such thing as being tough. You are made of clay. Literally, you're made of dirt. And God breathed into you. And you are frail and you are weak. And when we pray, we're confessing that dependence on God. And when we pray for one another, we're confessing that the church needs God's intervention in the church's life. But there's a second aspect to this. The first aspect is to pray for each other which it would be my prayer, one of my hopes would be, would be like after the service when, when you're talking with somebody, instead of saying, how are you doing, you ask, how can I pray for you? And then you don't do what most people do, which is, okay, I'll do that, and then you leave, and then you look at your phone, and you forget. But rather just to stop, put your hands on that person, and pray right away. Like Sunday morning should be a moment in which we strengthen the congregation by praying for the congregation. Because again, in a few moments, we're going to step out into the battlefield. Right now, this is the oasis. This is a small glimpse of heaven. You know that, right? That's not to say it's going to be Jesse in heaven preaching all the time. Right? It's not going to be that you're just going to be passively sitting in your seats listening. It's going to be far more active. But, but the reality of like-minded children of God who have been blessed by the forgiveness of God, who are in the presence of God without sin, this is a picture of peace. And then we're going to go outside and we're, going to, we're all going to go to a place where there are people who don't think like you, who want to force their agenda on you, who want you to think differently than people think Biblically, they, they're gonna try to beat you up and tear you down. Therefore, we should be praying for the saints. But Paul's also saying, secondly, another thing, pray for the preacher. Pray for the preacher. Pray that the preacher would be uncompromising in the truth. Pray that the preacher would be gospel-centered. Right, There are churches all across America who are falling in, to the same line of what I just mentioned earlier. They've they've compromised the teaching, they've compromised the truth, they've compromised the gospel, they've added to it, or they've taken away from it. We're not that far behind Europe. Right? I've had people tell me, Well, the church you don't really believe the church is under attack, do you? I absolutely believe the church is under attack. I mean, I've been in the Basque country. I've been in Spain. I have visited Europe in that area. Do you know how many evangelical churches there are? Zero. 24,000 people in a small little area. Zero. Evangelical, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching Christians. It doesn't mean they don't exist. They do at a very small number. And you know what? The system of the world, we're not that far behind Europe. It's coming over to this way. It's ideologies, it's philosophies, it's utter trash. You have to pray for the preacher. Right, you've got to pray for the preacher. And we, we know many of you travel from many distances simply because the book is open. The Bible is open. And Jesus is being preached without all of the other nonsense. Right, the last 18 months has been a purging of what is true and what isn't true. What are you going to do, Pastor Jesse? We're going to open the doors and we're going to preach the gospel and we're going to gather under the good news of Jesus Christ. And nothing is going to persuade us or change us from that ever again. Nothing. I mean, this last 18 months has convinced me more than ever how important the gathering of the saints is, how important the bride of Christ is. Church is important to Jesus. He died for the gathering of the saints. Hebrews tells us, don't forsake the gathering of the saints. So that we can encourage each other and we can pray for one another. You know, it's really hard to do the one another's without being amongst the one another's. It's kind of hard to do that. It's very, very difficult to do that. And so he tells us to pray for the saints, but I think he's also saying, Paul's saying, pray pray for the preacher. Pray that he wouldn't compromise. And my friends, some of you who travel from far, some of you who are visiting and you go to other churches, you know what some of the stuff's coming down from the pulpit. I'm just, I'm just gonna say it kind of gently, but also firmly, you need to tell your pastor to repent of the, the cultural garbage that he may be preaching. Some of you may be in churches that you need to call up that guy and say, hey man, can we sit down? Because I'm having an issue you're compromising. And it's happening everywhere. I, mean, we, I had a conversation with a gal just last week, and she said that they are just struggling to find a solid church in Reno, Nevada that is going to be uncompromising with the truth of God. There's all kinds of other things being shared from the pulpit. May we we every now and then touch upon little things we're wrestling with in culture, but may we never ever get off of the, the path that the only thing we need is the gospel of Jesus and that our hearts would flow with gratitude for the saints and for our teachers and preachers that are dedicated to the gospel. Can I just share with you that you have a staff of pastors and elders right now that are violently committed to the word of God, I mean, seriously. I'm just so thankful for the dudes in our church who have seen all this little stuff going around and have said, absolutely not here. I feel like a pit bull. You know, that's kind of how, how I feel like I am right now. Just, I'm going to guard the door, and if you bring that trash here, I'm going to start getting angry for the right reasons. Start throwing over tables and stuff. It'd be great. <laughs> Here's where I want to close with, and then we'll partake in communion together. Number one, when you pray, whatever you're praying, you need to understand that Jesus gets it. Sometimes, in fact, we don't always know what to pray, and, and there's places in Scripture that literally say you, you just get groan. You ever had those kind of prayers? You just can't put it into words. You just, ugh. right? He, he gets it. In fact, Hebrews four fifteen says, "We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses." but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And because of that, may we draw with confidence near to the throne of grace. What Hebrews tells us is he understands, and you should boldly come to the throne of Jesus. There should be absolutely nothing that keeps you from being in the presence of Jesus. If you see anything other than the welcoming arms of Jesus in prayer, you're thinking of the wrong kind of Jesus. Because his arms are open every time you come to him. No matter how sinful you may feel, how shameful you may feel, his arms are always open to his bride. So he gets it. And then number two, he loves it. The reason he wants us to pray is because he loves it. In fact, Proverbs 15:18 says that he detests in the sacrifice of the wicked. Did you catch that? He's saying, "You can offer up all the offerings you want, but if you're wicked, they don't mean a thing. but rather, he delights in the prayers of the upright. He delights in your prayers. In Revelations, it actually says that our prayers sit within golden bowls full of incense that rise up into his nostrils. Right? What does incense do? It makes the environment better. It, it makes the, the mood better. It, it, it burns upward, and it burns. It burns like within our hearts, and it burns within his heart. So as we get ready to close and partake in communion together, may we be a church that is committed to praying and being in the presence of Jesus. Every Thursday night, Every single Thursday night, we've got a group of people who are next door singing, praising to God. It's our just night of worship, and I'm, I'm convinced that much of what we've experienced in the last 18 months positively has been because of those saints who have radically interceded on behalf of the leadership and the community and the church here. Like, utterly convinced that that is one of the key reasons our church has been able to thrive in a season that most churches are not thriving. And I believe many of the churches are not thriving because they have compromised the word of God. It saddens me. And you, can, you some of you might look at man, he's really being judgy. I'm not being judgy, man. I'm, I'm calling us back to biblical Christianity, calling us back to the centrality of Christ. Why, why would you say these things, Jess? Because that's why Colossians was written. Don't let the cultural trash in the door of the church. Don't let it compromise what you believe and pray that we as saints would be rooted in the gospel and rooted in the word of God. Amen? Um, can I have my leaders come up? And as I explain communion, uh, my, some of my elders and deacons, I, I hope I have enough of the uh, guys here. I should, let me see, one, two, three. Yeah, thank you, Jeremy. Um, and uh, I'm gonna have Brad just kind of strum in the background a little bit, and then if you guys, while I'm talking, Want to hand out the bread first and then the juice and then just hold on to the elements and we'll partake together. So you guys can go ahead and start passing that out. Um, <clears throat> it never ceases to amaze me when we get to participate in communion. We, we try to do this once a month. And what communion uh, is all about is, first of all, it's, it's, it's one of the two sacraments that we believe in in Protestant Christianity. By Protestant Christianity, I mean those of us who have broken away from the Catholic Church, from Martin Luther, and said, okay, these things are important. There's two real important things, which is a distinction between Catholicism and that Catholicism has way more sacraments than the Protestant Christianity. And and that's because in Protestantism, we have, have gotten away with all of the laws, all of the legalities, want to focus just on the principle of being saved by grace. So Jesus has two sacraments for us we see in Scripture. We're scripturally convinced of this. One is baptism. We got to do that a few weeks ago. I think we, in total this year, we've been able to uh, graciously baptize nine souls of people who've said and proclaimed in baptism that they believe that they have died with Christ and that they have been risen with Christ and now they want to live their life clean under the banner of Christ. And then the second one is what we are doing this morning, communion. And communion is the practice that we share in. I'm a very imaginatory person. Is that a word, imaginatory? Is it? It is now. And um to use my imagination to sit to literally, like if you will, like I'm picturing in my mind, and I know that some of you are like, this sounds so weird, but but I'm picturing in my mind that I am at the table with Jesus. And what's interesting about the table that Jesus sat in, they really didn't have chairs. The table was really low to the ground and oftentimes they would lay on one side and one of the disciples is actually kind of laying in, John, into the chest of Jesus. And here they're all sitting at the table and Jesus takes this ancient ceremony from the jewish culture from what they celebrated in passover when god passed over the firstborn of all those who put the blood on the doorpost of their homes and finally after all of these years have gone by jesus begins to bring life into this ancient story that was in the book of exodus He says, you know, that Passover thing you've celebrated, if I was to paraphrase Jesus, if I was to speak as Jesus, were to speak, which I know I can't, but I'm at least tempted. He he would say, you know, that ancient ceremony, it, it all actually points to me. You know, the bread that you partook and the wine that you partook, those things, the breaking of the bread, it actually points towards my death. See, within your hand right now, most, if not all of you, should have in your hand a piece of what is called matzah bread. And matzah is distinct in the way that it is made without leaven, which leaven represents sin, so it is without sin. If you notice, there's tiny little holes in the matzah bread, which represents the piercings of Jesus Christ. And there is a kind of burning that occurs on matzah bread that looks like stripes, just like the stripes that were beaten in the back of Jesus. And Jesus says, every time you partake of this particular bread, you do it in remembrance of my body being broken for you. The disciples had no idea what he was talking about. To them, they were saying, what is this? He wants us to eat of his body. What is he saying? And then he goes even further, if you can imagine, to the dismay of the disciples at the time, but trusting Jesus, because after all, they'd seen him walk on water and heal people. This cup that I drink, which represents at the Passover, the the cup of God's wrath and anger towards sin, whenever you partake of this and you drink of this, you drink of my blood that was shed for you. Again, the disciples had no idea. And it wasn't until they saw their Savior on the cross when they saw him beaten, battered, and bloodied, and they saw his blood flowing down his body down to the ground. And it wasn't until after that, when he was shoved into a tomb, guarded by Roman soldiers not to be messed with, that he came out of that grave completely healed and completely alive, Did the disciples get it. Oh, he wants us to remember for all eternity of the sacrifice he made to be reconciled with God. Man, it's like God is so gracious in that he gives us this simple little piece of bread and this simple little cup to remind us of something that has so much cosmic power behind it. What you hold in your hands is just a symbol, but it's a symbol of something that will echo echo in eternity forevermore. The day that God, the day that God came from heaven to earth to die for his creation, that they could be in his presence? Did you know that Jesus died so that you can pray, that you can be with him? Would you do me a favor? You're able to this, this morning. Would you stand with me as we partake together? <clears throat> Lord, the first step of salvation is to admit that we need you and that we're desperate for you, that we're broken inside, Lord, and to recognize that because we're broken, you, Lord, became broken so that we, be, we could become fulfilled that we could be healed as scripture tells us by your stripes we are healed not just from our sin but all of our shame and all of our guilt and all the other things that come with it and Lord so we celebrate the reality that you died on the cross for us so that we could be in right relationship with you that we could pray to you that we could walk with you and that we could share the gospel to others about who you are and so may we partake this morning hearts filled with gratitude and thanksgiving In Jesus' name, you may partake. His body broken on our behalf. I encourage you as we sing in the next few moments, would you pray for your church? As you sing, would you pray for your church? And would you pray for your pastors and leaders that they would be uncompromising to the gospel and the word of God. Would you do that? Yes. You just, I just keep going, I'll convince you. God bless you. Have a great week. And hey friends, as we uh, sing this next song, a celebration song, we have been redeemed, you have been saved. Let's join in song together as we celebrate and enjoy a sound. It goes like this.